Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that your hand be upon the word that's going to be read and taught today, Lord, that you'll anoint the speaker and, Lord, that you'll bless uh, each and every one that needs to hear this message. I ask, Lord, that, uh, that you'll open the ears that need to hear and the eyes that need to see. I ask, Lord, that your hand be upon all the people that's come here and the departure, Lord, that you'll just keep everyone safe in this coming holidays. We ask this in your holy, precious name. Amen. Okay, I warned you last week. We're going to see an illustration of the teaching that we saw in the last chapter. Between Jesus and the rich young ruler. Everybody remember? So we have Jesus and the rich young ruler. He comes in. Uh, in these examples, we are, we're going to see so many things that compare. For example, both of them are rich. Both of them are in a hurry to see Jesus. Uh, both of them feel like there's something that Jesus has to give them. One responds favorably. One responds negatively. And so we can ask ourselves, when we look... And we hear in our minds what the disciples said last week. Well, then who can be saved? Remember, if it's so hard for a rich man to, to, to get into heaven, as hard as it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And remember last week, that word is actually the eye of the needle. You, you make it whatever you want. But in the word, it's talking about an eye of a needle. And we know that because the next sentence it says, because whatever is impossible with man, not possible if you get down on your knees and crawl, whatever is impossible with man, can man save himself? No, whatever is impossible with man is possible with God. And then the beautiful thing as we look at this section of scripture is we see all the things that are kind of playing behind the scene of this event. And I don't want you to miss any of them. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And this reminds me of John 4.4. If you guys have studied the Gospel of John, we did John when I first came here nine years ago. So in about nine more years, I should be back to the beginning again. But but as we looked at it, uh, John 4.4 said, And Jesus must needs pass through Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman at a well. There was no other reason. Why did Jesus have to go through Jericho? One reason. Why? 
Because Zacchaeus was there. He went for him. He went for her. And we have the culmination of this ministry of Christ in verse 10 of chapter 19. Really the, the key verse of the entire book. And that is that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Remember the stories, right? Of the, the, the shepherd who had a hundred. He lost one. He left the ninety-nine. Went for the one. And when he found him, what did he do? Rejoice. Remember, what do we see? All the, all the crazy Pharisees, the self-righteous. The, the, what do we see them complaining about? Somebody gets saved. Somebody comes to Jesus. Somebody wants to follow him. And they get mad. Well, that's a dirt bag. You can't let dirt bags in. I'm going to put that sign out in front of church. Dirt bags welcome. <laughs> I'm a dirt bag. I don't know, or at least I was before I met Christ. And it, I, I often hear people, I know people occasionally will bust my chops. Because I like to talk about the fact that we're broken, right? And I'll say, hey, you know, we're broken. And, and, and you know, I, not that I want you to just meditate on your brokenness. But at the end of Paul's life, everybody heard of the Apostle Paul, right? At the end of Paul's life, he writes in Timothy that he was the chief of sinners. So in those days, that's like me saying, I'm broken. I struggle in sin. Uh, that is a struggle that I will bear with until I see my Savior face to face. And the culmination of my salvation happens. You guys understand, I have no intention to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Salvation is a, is a threefold process, okay? The Bible talks about the fact that, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, so he is justified. That means that the judge, God is granting him righteousness. Not something he earned. He's granting it to him because of his faith. Yeah? And then Abraham's life, from that moment in Genesis 12, Abraham's life is a life of sanctification, meaning he's trying to become more and more like the man slash person God wants him to be, right? Man or woman, whatever the deal is, as you are, are moving forward and following the Lord, you're trying to become more like him. That is sanctification. God working in us. Right? We see that as we, we get to read about Abraham's whole life. How would you like it if your whole life was in the Bible? Oh yeah, all of a sudden, huh? We, get to, we, we take pot shots at him all the time. We read about Abraham. We say, yeah, Abraham you know, is the father of faith, but he lied. Yeah, he did. Which of you haven't? Oh, but he lied about his wife. Uh-huh. Which of you haven't? The reality is, what? We are sinners. When did that change for Abraham? What we're going to see is, we continue to study, that Abraham's salvation was always future. But there's a third part to salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. You know what happens at glorification? You see your Savior face to face. You know what happens then? Sin nature is gone. The struggle is over. And he does what he promised to do in the beginning. Are you guys tracking with me? 
And so that moment, that, that moment, that final moment was waiting for Jesus to die on the cross. When Jesus dies on the cross, is buried for three days and rises again, he has proclaimed to the spirits in prison, the righteous dead, he has proclaimed to them salvation. And then they, along with he, are able to enter through the gates of heaven in glory. Because God's accomplishing His salvation. You and I, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're justified. Same exact way. I believe what you said about me, God. I believe what you said about you. I trust you. I'm justified. He imparts to me His righteousness. Justification. My life then moves forward in the work of sanctification. Trying to become more like Him, right? I'm trying to become more like Him. That's just the natural process. If you've been justified... Sanctification is what happens next. If sanctification hasn't happened, back up and ask yourself, have you really bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? You guys get what I'm saying? Now, as I move forward in sanctification, there will be a day when I will see His face. And the battle is over. And my salvation will be complete. Now, in Romans chapter 8, God talks about them all in the past tense. So He's not worried. Because he is able to save from the uttermost. Yeah? God's not worried. I sometimes worry. Right? Do you? Are we honest? Yeah, sometimes I worry. But we're trusting in him, not me, right? I'm trusting in him, not me. I'm trusting in his ability, not my ability. So I want to have my faith, I want to have my eyes, I want to have everything on him. And when I come to sections of scripture like this where it says that Jesus said, I have to go there. It just reminds me that there were times in my life where he had to come touch me. Where he, by his spirit, through his word, I was in, uh, where was I? I was in North Carolina, Midway Park. My, my wife's not here, Joe's here. Cass, stick your head in. Huh? Didn't work. Okay, so we went to a ch- <clears throat> She's going to come after I tell the story. I I went to his church, and this preacher was preaching, and as he was sharing the word out of Hebrews chapter 6, the word was hitting my heart like a dagger, and just doing open heart surgery on me, right there in front of him, as he was doing it. And that is the same thing as God saying, i got to go to Jericho. Because when that happens, that is the God of the universe speaking to you through his word. Accomplishing his purpose in your life. And if you turn a hard heart to that, then you put yourself in the place of Pharaoh. Or you put yourself in the place of Judas, making your heart hard toward the Savior. So we want God to do. He had needs to go to Jericho. And he's just passing through. He's headed to the cross, right? He's headed to the cross. It says in verse 2, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Okay, there's some comparisons already, right? Rich young ruler, chief tax collector. That don't just mean he's just your everyday ordinary tax collector, right? Yeah, you guys get that? Chief. He's the chief. He's the guy when your tax collector is, is just taking too much from you and you go to complain to the chief tax collector, that's the guy. And he takes more. Because he don't want you to complain. Right? Come on, you guys all been to a shop that says, here's the rate, labor rate for the automotive shop, and here's the labor rate if you're going to bug me. 
Here's the labor rate if you started this job by yourself and screwed it up more and now I got to fix it. Yeah? So he's the chief tax collector. He's the head honcho. Now there's a couple of questions I want to ask you about Zacchaeus. I want you to consider. Because the Bible and all these events that are happening are happening in a relatively small geographical area. Okay? And the Jericho is right around the area where if you come to Israel, you'll be able to see how close. But right around the area where John the Baptist was ministering. You remember him, right? It's right around the area uh, um, of the, the, the Sea of Galilee. It's not that far removed. It's all these things that are going on. In Luke chapter 5, verse 29, it says, Levi, that's, that's Matthew, right? Matthew, one of the disciples. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. So Levi gets chosen as a, ta- as a disciple, and he has a big feast. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled and said, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Oh, we've heard all that before, right? Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, if Levi was a tax collector, what do you think are the odds in the same general vicinity that he would know who the chief tax collector was in the next town over in Jericho? And if he was throwing a big shindig with Jesus, what's the odds that he would invite him? I don't know. Maybe. All I know is this. When Jesus stops below the sycamore tree, he looks up and he says what? Zacchaeus, how did he know that? Well, he's God. So I'll grant him that. But maybe, right? Maybe they've met. Maybe he was at this, this deal. Certainly we know that, that John the Baptist ministering in that area, he would have heard John's message. In Luke 3, verse 12, it says, Tax collectors, this is John the Baptist talking, Tax collectors also came to be baptized and say to him, Teacher, What do we have to do? What shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized. So John was, as they're repenting, as they're preparing their hearts (coughs) for the gospel message that was to come. And that gospel message, by the way, is going to be preached by Peter in Acts chapter 2. Prior to that, we have the same message of repentance. Get your heart ready. The gospel's coming. Get your heart ready. The gospel's coming. What's What's the gospel going to be? The gospel's going to be that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again for your sins. He justifies you. Put your trust in him. You guys tracking with me? So their, their hearts are being made ready. Get your heart ready. Get your heart ready. So maybe, maybe Zacchaeus went there. Maybe he, he was listening. Maybe he's curious. Because I have another question to ask. Why is it he wanted to see Jesus so bad? He's not, he's not needing healing, right? He doesn't come to Jesus and say, Lord, I have been plagued by being short my whole life. Make me tall. He doesn't do that, right? He, he's not asking for anything. He just wants to see him. He just wants to see him. What was it that was calling him? I don't know. It says, <clears throat> he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Verse 3, Luke nineteen three. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He wants to see Jesus. You know, here's this unique thing about the Word of God. The Bible will tell us, basically, if that's what you want, you'll get what you want. 
If that's what you want, you'll get what you want. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You want to see Jesus, what happens? You have a woman at the well. She doesn't even know his name's Jesus. You have a woman at the well, sitting at the well, going to the well at an odd time, because none of the women in town like her, because she's had, what, five husbands, and they're worried maybe their husband might be number six. And so the women don't want to hang out with her. So she goes at a different time, so she don't have to have the confrontation. And every time she goes to that well, and she stops at the well, she thinks, man, is this really all there is? And it just so happens, one of the days she's asking that question, there's a man waiting at the well. And he starts to ask her questions. And when she leaves that well, you know what she tells everyone she sees? Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. That means to me, she's saying, come and see the man who knows me better than any other man. Come and hear this man who the book of Revelation would describe as a, a, a man with eyes like a flames of fire. Who can see right through your soul. You can't lie to him. Every time the Pharisees try to pull one over on him, Jesus tells them what they're really thinking. Come and see him. Could this be the Messiah? Come and see. James 4.8 says to draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will what? It's not complicated. Don't make it so complicated. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. How do I cleanse my hands? How do I purify my heart? How did Paul do it? Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. And he forgave me. And he never lost touch of that reality. And I don't ever want to lose touch of the reality that it's Jesus Christ who has forgiven me. Repentance cleanses our hands. Hosea 6.6 What is it that God wants? For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. Listen to the words, because some people are going to focus on all the wrong things. He said, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. When Jesus said to the rich young ruler, take all the things you have, sell them, give them to the poor, and come and follow me. What Jesus is saying is you love your money, and I want you to love me like you love your money. And, and I, won't, I won't have a, a, another plying for your heart. I want all your heart. Is that not true today? Which one of you would say, I want a relationship with a man or woman, but I only want them to give me 10% of who they are? I only want 10% of their heart. Is, is that real? Do any of us look for that? Oh, you know what I want is a friend who is 90% 90, 90 against me. <laughs> no, that's not what we pick, right? We say what? I want to, if I look to someone, I want somebody who, who I have their whole heart, Yeah? And if, I'm, if I want to be someone else's, then I want to be the one who has given my whole heart to them. Yeah? No? Isn't that true? Here God is saying, I want your heart, not your sacrifice. The other day, was, it was funny. Well, it was probably not funny. Okay, is Danielle's not in here, is she? No? I'm looking. Doo, doo, doo. I see Jason. I said Danielle. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> and don't say this to her. 
So the, well, really it's about Jason, but I just don't want him to get in trouble again. So, so Jason and his wife are, are talking and she wants some more time with her husband. Ladies, you ever been there? Yes or no? Okay. So I just want to make sure I'm still, I got you. So she's saying, I want some more time. I just want to spend some time with you. And Jason said something like, okay, I can die to myself to spend time with you. Okay, ladies, how many of you want to hear it like that? <laughs> okay, uh, you guys can check with Jason and Danielle for the truth. But, but <clears throat> my point is, God says, I want your steadfast love, not your sacrifice. God is not saying, I want you to look to me and say, oh, I had to die to myself to hang out with you today. Right? You guys get what I'm saying? Because you don't think that sounds right, do you? God says, I desire your steadfast love, not your sacrifice. It's not about what money you can drop in the plate or the basket or the box. He says, I want your love. And the reason he's called out the rich young ruler is he called out what he loved. You love that. I want your heart. Get rid of that. Right? There's no woman who would take a man and say, yes, you can have your, your ex-girlfriend too. No, that don't happen. I want it all or nothing. That's the truth. I want your steadfast love. And the second thing, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In other words, don't, don't give me a bunch of gifts. Know me. This is what God's saying. Don't give me a bunch of gifts. Know me. I want you to know who I am. If you seek him, you will find him. There's nobody who ever said, I'm seeking God, and God is not willing to reveal himself. There is a lot of people who are not willing to seek God. Zacchaeus wants to see who Jesus is. But the crowd is in the way. He can't get to him, he can't see him, he, he, he can't see him because of all these people in the way. You know, there's a lot of people struggle with that still today. Can't see Jesus because all the stuff in the way. Can't see Jesus because of evil in the world. Can't see Jesus because of suffering. Can't see Jesus because of the hard things that have happened. Zacchaeus wanted to see him so bad he climbed up in a tree, right? I'm going to do whatever it takes so I can get to where you are. Any man or woman who is seeking God, who is willing to say, look, I'm, I'm going to set aside all my preconceived notions of the, of the reality that I think I'm God. And I'm going to come to see who Jesus is. Look at verse 3. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was of small stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass by that way. So, we look at these two, rich young rulers, Zacchaeus, both are rulers. One's a chief of tax collectors, a chief of sinners, the other called the rich young ruler. One is a keeper of the commands. Jesus says, you know what the law says. He says, I've done that for my youth. The other is an out and out, dirty, no good sinner. One won't give the thing that he loves. He loves that more than God. He wants what he loves. The other 
is willing to give everything. He just wants him. After the one meets him, they ask the question, who then can be saved? After Zacchaeus meets Jesus, Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. So what's the plan of God? Jesus comes under the sycamore tree, it says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus! Now that don't... Sometimes I just want to know, how do you know his name? How do you know his name Zacchaeus? How do you know that's who he is? Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I'm coming to your house. The first thing that springs into my mind before asking, how do you know his name? We'll talk about that in a second. Was the idea that Jesus says, I want to come over. In the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, there's one church, the, the uh, uh, church of Laodicea, right? The lukewarm church, the church that Jesus says, I, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Anytime someone describes you as vomit, it's not good, right? Yeah, we okay with that? Vomit's bad. So, I don't want to be vomit. And the one thing about this church of Laodicea is, where is Jesus? When you get to the end of the letter, in Revelation 3.20, you guys have all heard this verse. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open the door, what's he say? I'll come in. And sup with you and you with me. We'll have communion. Here, he's standing under the tree. He's looking up at Zacchaeus. He says, I'm coming to your house. Why? Because Zacchaeus wants to know him. Zacchaeus wants to, wants to find him. Zacchaeus is saying, I, I, I want to get above all this other nonsense. And I want to just know, where are you, Jesus? Jesus says, I'm right here. I've been knocking at the door. If you open it, what? I come in. If you open the door... I come in. I got to come to your house. I got to come there. Psalm 147, <clears throat> verse 4 and 5. We're going to look at it in three different translations just because of the different words that they choose. Uh, I always do. I study with five different translations all the time because it helps me understand what's going on a lot of times. Psalm 147, 4 through 5 in the ESV says, He determines the number of the stars, He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Psalm 147, 4 and 5. In the, in the Lexham English Bible it says, He counts the numbers of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is unlimited. That's a lot of understanding, right? New King James Version, Psalm 147, 4 and 5. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Three different words to describe the same Hebrew word. Which basically means he knows it all. Yes? This is what the Bible declares about our God. He calls him by his name, Zacchaeus. But the Bible teaches that God's knowledge is infinite. Beyond measure. Unlimited. That is the God of the Bible. It always drives me crazy when I have people who question God. They question God about circumstances in life. How could God allow this to happen, right? Have we, we, we've been people who have asked that. Yes or no? Yeah, I've asked that question. Usually the next question I, I ask is, do you know everything? Which doesn't need an answer 
It's called a rhetorical device. Right? Because we are all aware that we don't know everything. Yes? So when we make a truth claim about an infinite being, and we say he can't be good, or he can't be all-powerful, he can't be this, he can't be that, but at the same time, I don't know everything, is it not possible that what I don't know might contradict what I think I know? That is what is called, in logic, a self-defeating argument. Okay, so all of that is a little too loopy for you. Just let me say it like this. If God is infinite and you are finite, you can't know what he knows. So if God is infinite and life is hard, I'm sorry. I can acknowledge with you life is hard. And some things are just bad. But I can also acknowledge that one day there will be a reckoning. And all that was ever wrong will be made right in Christ. Without Him, you got no hope. In Him, all you have is hope. He is the one that we can trust, that we can put our hope in. And He looks up at Zacchaeus and He commands him. You see that? Zacchaeus, get down here. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's crazy. Every time someone says, I want to see Jesus, Jesus is going to command you to respond to him. Jesus is going to command you to respond. You don't get to just sit back there and do nothing. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. He doesn't say, just sit back and ponder for a while. He says, come to me. He says to Zacchaeus, come to me. To the woman at the well, come to me. What do you think he wants? He wants us to come. For what purpose? To look into his eyes, then bow the knee. And say, you're God and I'm not. And I'm going to follow you. Not me. Anybody been running their own life? And had their life go sideways. And when it does, why don't we string ourselves up? Usually when something goes wrong, somebody's life, especially in somebody's life, when they're running their life, something goes wrong, they get mad at God. We mad at Him for? Well, if He was there, He would have stopped me. Nope, He wouldn't have. Because He didn't. So I know He wouldn't. I did not stop my children from every dumb thing they wanted to do. Did you? I tried, but they won't have it. Yeah? You ever said to your little child, don't touch that, it's hot. Don't touch that, it's hot. Don't touch it, grab their hand and slap it. Don't touch it, it's hot. And they look at you with their little evil eyes. (laughs) And they go right over to what you just said, don't touch. And when is it that they learn? When they go, and then they cry, cry, why did you let me do that? I try to stop you. Okay, if that is real, that's real, right? Why do you separate that from spiritual? The spiritual is just as real. Just as real. 
Why didn't God stop it? Why didn't God? Because you wouldn't have none of it. Submit. Bow the knee. Follow him. Stop trying to be your own God. Stop trying to be the one with infinite knowledge. That's not us. Yeah? We don't know it all. I have been, I have been told at least three times this week by a five-year-old that I'm wrong. What do you mean I'm wrong? In your five years, you have gained enough knowledge to stand there in front of me and make this truth claim that you know better than I do. That's dumb. But how many times do you and I, as adults, look up at God and make the same claim to Him? And He's saying, man... I have been around so much longer than you. Just trust me. It doesn't make the hard thing less hard. It doesn't make the hurtful thing less hurtful. It doesn't mean make the pain less painful. It just gives you hope. God says there will be a reckoning. And on the day of reckoning, no one will say I got a raw deal. Zero. There is a day of reckoning. And on that day of reckoning, I want to have already made my decision to follow him, to trust in him. So it says in verse 6, so he hurried up and he came down and he, re, and he received him joyfully. So you see Zacchaeus is super stoked about having Jesus. Yeah? Super stoked about having Jesus at his house. Are you that stoked about having Jesus at your house? Has he got room there? Can he come hang out? You got to clean up a half hour first. There ain't nothing you're going to move he ain't already saw. Yeah? When Jesus Is Jesus allowed in your celebrations? Is he allowed in your Thanksgiving? Is he allowed in your Christmas? Is he allowed in your life? Is he part of the way you look at the world? Because there's no such thing as a separation of secular and holy. You're either in or out. And if you're in, it should affect everything you do. I praise God that we have teachers at the, the high school here who are part of the church who love Jesus Christ, have Jesus in their life, and they have an opportunity to, whenever possible, to, to share that hope that they have with whoever will listen. Praise God for them. Hallelujah. I praise God for people who are plumbers who are saved. There's at least two. I I try not to. I have some feelings about plumbers. I'm going to. Easy, huh? Well, I'm not not that plumber. He's the saved one. I was talking about Jason. Sorry. Nope. There's a couple other plumbers I'm less happy about. But. Those guys, woohoo! They're, they're, they're the ones you want. I praise God, right, for believers who are in whatever, uh, in whatever realm of life, who, when they can go to someone's house to help them, or when they do their taxes, or when they teach their children, or whatever, they have an opportunity, right, to to be able to be a witness. Praise God for that. That's awesome. That's great. What a blessing! What a blessing to have that. 
so thankful for that reality, right? So Zacchaeus is stoked. He's like, man, I want to have Jesus over. I'm, I'm happy that there are men and women who have a variety of different jobs and responsibilities who are happy to be a witness for Jesus Christ wherever they are. Because Jesus Christ comes with you wherever you go. Right? The Apostle Paul says it like this. It's, it's a, it might be a little shocking for you, but he says, If you join yourself to a harlot, you know Jesus went with you. If you're with him, then you're with him. So he's, and he's, here's the amazing thing. He's okay with how screwed up you are. And he's willing in that, he's willing to meet you right there and have grace for you and mercy for you and forgive you. He's willing. So what, what if we just stop all the crazy pretending and we just say, you know what, you're right, I just need to repent from this stuff. Because that's what he wants. He didn't save you to leave you in the filth you're in. He saved you to make you more. He saved you to make you more. I have a friend in California that was pretty, I don't even know the right words, pretty pretty deep. Yeah, for sure, bro. Yeah, he is broke. He's pretty deep in, uh, in the Vagos. And the area that we were from in California, Vagos was the guys that rode uh, in that area in the desert. Super broke. He comes to Jesus. He, he gets saved. I remember he comes into church and he says, man... Okay, so I need to know, what do you, what do you want me to do? I, I, I need to patch out, what do I got to do? You know, he's figuring out, how do I live this Christian life in, in the world I'm in? And uh, the Pastor Gerald, who was the pastor where I came from, he sat down with him, he said, you know, Art, you can go places I can't go. So take Jesus with you wherever you go. Take them until they, until they throw you out because you bug them too much about Jesus. Then you go. You be who you are in Christ. That does, that's not a license for sin. That's a license to be a strong believer for Jesus Christ in every realm possible. Be a witness for him. Be a witness for him. That's what we want. That's what Zacchaeus is going to be, right? That's what he wants. He's stoked. The Lord's here. And so Zacchaeus stands up. He stands up after the meal and he says, Behold! So that means he has something important to say. If that ever happens at the Robert's house, you'll know something important is about to happen. Usually it'll be Kathy saying it about something I did wrong. (laughs) He stands up and says, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I will give to the poor. Did Jesus tell him to give anything? No. But what has happened in the heart of Zacchaeus? He loves Jesus more than his stuff. Right? Yeah, he he just loves Jesus more than his stuff. Not no command. God don't need your money. He ain't broke. He ain't broke. He wants your heart. And if your money's in the way, get rid of it. Get it out of the way. He gives a half, half. Now, not all, like the rich young ruler. He, gives, he says, I give half. I'll give it to the poor. 
And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Four times the law required that he give back whatever he stole plus 20%. That's what the law required. He's saying, I'll give him back four times what I took. What does that mean? Well, he's repentant of the things he's done wrong, right? He's changing his direction. He's moving in a different direction. And it further says, money don't own me. Money's a tool. Money's a tool. Your stuff is a tool. You want to use it for Christ? Use it for Christ. If it owns you, get rid of it. If you own it, right on. Is there a, a reason we're not allowed to rejoice in the good gifts God gives? Does God require that we go out on a sunny day and go, Oh, I don't really love a sunny day very much. Lord, I love you more. Or does he want you to rejoice in the good things he gives? Yeah, rejoice in them. If God gives you good things, praise the Lord. Don't be owned by them. That's all. Don't be owned by them. Don't be a slave to your stuff. Be a slave to God. He says, I'll give fourfold. So Jesus says to him in verse 9, Today, salvation has come to this house. And I would say, hallelujah, absolutely it did. And I'm going to shock you again. Zacchaeus not saved yet. Zacchaeus has faith in Christ. But the act that Christ came to do isn't finished. When he says from the cross, what's, what's that word? Yeah. We all say it different. Te telestai. Te telestai. It is finished. What did he mean when he said that? Now it's done. Now it's done. But is he, is he ready to follow Jesus in faith? Absolutely. For you and I today, if we do what Zacchaeus does, if we come to him, we joyfully receive him, we open up our heart to him, yep, you're saved right then. Bang. There's no, there's no further event. For him, he was waiting for the cross. Yes? Jesus was going to the cross. The act had not been finished yet. So when he says salvation has come to this house, who's he talking about? That's right. You remember in Luke chapter 2, verse 29, we see Simeon seeing Jesus as a baby. And Simeon says, oh, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your words. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Who is our salvation? Jesus. It ain't me and it ain't you. It's not Calvary Chapel Buell or any other church. It is him. He is our salvation. Today, salvation has come to your house. And then he says to him something interesting. Don't miss it. Since you are a son of Abraham. Now when the Pharisees were saying, Abraham's our father, Jesus said, don't make that boast. If God wants to make these rocks sons of Abraham, he could do it. They're boasting in their birth. What is Jesus talking about? How do we become a son of Abraham? You, what did we do in the beginning? Abraham did what? Believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed God and God declared him righteous. God said, you believe me. Whosoever, anyone that will want to see him, want to know him, who wants saved by him, who would call upon his name, you'll get it. He will respond. He will respond and do such a work 
since he also is the son of Abraham. Galatians 3, 7 says, No, that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Those who believe. Galatians 3, 29, And if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Romans 2, 28, For no one is a Jew who is one merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. And his praise is not from man, but from God. Who is our salvation? Jesus is. It's him. It's not a thing I do, it's a person I trust. It's a person into who I I place my weight, my value, who I am. Everything about me, I put it in him. And then in verse 10, what does Jesus say? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Still does it today. Found me in the middle of Midway Park, North Carolina. Where did he find you? Spoke to my heart through his word, just like a surgeon doing surgery on my life. Cut my chest open, got to my heart. You could not have stopped me from coming to, to have prayer any more than you could have. I needed him. Do you get it? Is that how you need Jesus? When there's an opportunity for you to declare yourself for him, don't you want to do it? Do you do it? And if you don't, don't beat yourself up. Neither did Peter. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's what a believer in Jesus Christ does. And I I want to follow the example of Paul. I want to say to my last dying day, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. If he came to save the broken, I am broken. And I need saved. I need him to work in my life every day. If he takes his hands off of me for five minutes, I'm doomed. Do you need Jesus like that? Because that's what he's calling us to. That's what a relationship with him is all about. I need Jesus like that. I need that. I need to hear those words that Paul said. Because he said, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Because if you don't think you are, you don't need them. And I need them every day. I need them every day to do right. I need them every day to choose right. I need them every day to walk right. I need him, I need him, I need him, I need him, I need him. Where can I get him? I get him in his word. It's his word that first pricked my heart. So I need to pour his word in every day. I get him when I pray. I get him when I praise. When I stand up and sing. I still remember the very first day I stood in church and I lifted my hands. And I was so freaked out. Because I was a good Baptist. You know, just don't do that. That's weird. The weirdies do that. And I didn't want to, 
I didn't want to be one of the weirdies. I wanted to be normal. But I read in the Bible where the Lord said, Lift your hands in praise. And I said, Why in the world am I so uptight about that? And it was, oh my gosh, it was hard. I had this whole battle. When I'm trying to raise my hands, and then I'm like, oh, somebody's watching. (laughs) Maybe I can just do one hand. It's kind of cool that way. (laughs) Man, when we surrender our heart, it's just like when we surrender our heart to another person. And we want to tell everybody we know. We want to praise them. We want to... We're not ashamed, right? And if we are, then we would ask ourselves, is your heart really given? Give it away. I have never regretted a single moment following Jesus Christ. Not a single moment. He is worthy. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we can come before you. Thank you for an opportunity to study your word. And your word is living and powerful because it's you. It's you. You, you, Jesus, are God the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we beheld the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father as he expresses who God is in grace and truth. Lord, I pray that we would come to a place where we submit ourselves to your word just because it's there. Why do I love my wife? Because your word says it's enough. It's enough. It doesn't matter. Because you're God, and I'm not. Because you say, and so I, I do. Because I love you. Because I love you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to be what you want me to be. I want to love the people you tell me to love. I want to care about people. I want to care about the poor. I want to care about the problems in our culture and in our world. I want to, I want to try to be a part of some kind of a solution because you would. I don't want to argue with you anymore about this or that. I just want to say you said it and it's good. Because you know more than me. And even though I I was in the back and I'm thinking in my head, I don't know, you sought me out in the middle of no place, Midway Park, North Carolina. My wife, she grabbed me by the ear and drugged me to church and I went kicking and screaming. And then the preacher said something, it stuck, it stuck, I couldn't get it out couldn't get it out until I bowed the knee and I said, it's, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. You tell me to go left, I'll go left. You tell me stand up, I'll stand up. Sit down, I'll sit down. I'm your man. That's what coming to Christ looks like. He's not looking for a commitment. He's looking for submission. Surrender. And when I surrender, man, you set me free. I've never been so free in all my life. I'm free from sin. I'm free from all the things that sought to bind me up. Because you told the truth. You are the truth. I can make a claim on truth because I know someone who knows everything. 
His name is Jesus. The word of God depicts him as the wisdom of God. Yeah. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing, the call that you're given. And I pray we, your church, would respond. Lord, I pray we would respond. If we don't know you, I pray that nothing would hold us back from getting that done. If I do know you and I'm not in the right place with you, then nothing holds me back from getting in the right place. There is nothing more important than this reality. That Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And he is calling today. He wants to do what he has always done. He says this morning, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'm coming in. Lord, I pray that people would open the door. Step on the neck of their pride. And in humility, submit to the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God will give you glory and praise and honor for it all. We lay these things before you. In Jesus name. Amen. Just encourage anyone, if you need prayer this morning, uh, just be, uh, come forward. We've got people up here that will pray with you. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies until all my fears are gone and I'm no longer a slave to fear but I am a child of God and I'm no longer a slave to fear But I am a child of God And from my mother's womb You have chosen me Oh, your love has called my name And I've been born again Into your family Your blood flows through my veins And I'm no longer a slave to fear But I am a child of God, sing I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. 
you split the sea so I could 